together in this fashion to lift you up that you may draw all men unto yourself, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord God, today, Lord God. Lord God, we ask, dearly Father, that you would just have your way in this place, Lord God. Those that are underneath the sound of my voice as well as those that are on their way and those that had a mind to be here but couldn't be here, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, in advance, Lord God, for blessing them as well, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Father, I ask, Heavenly Father, Lord God, that you would continue to touch the shepherd of this house, Lord God, and those that is connected unto him, Lord God. In the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. And those things that he prays to you about in private, Lord God. We thank you in advance, Lord God, for rewarding him openly, Lord God, as well as those that's underneath the sound of my voice, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, Lord God. Father, we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would have your, your way in this place, Lord God, healing and delivering and setting people free as we know that you can and you will do in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Lord God, help us, Lord God, to not only be hearers of your word, but doers in the name of Jesus, Lord God. And we give you praise, give you glory, and give you honor, Lord God, not just for the things that you've done, doing, and going to manifest but for who you are, the Savior of our souls, Lord God. And we thank you for that, Lord God. Have your way in this place today, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.
arise. Let the fragrance, let the fragrance of His presence fill this place. Now we just wanna say, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah.
they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 
thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. We just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You 
rehearsal you go into praise and worship sometimes if you're doing it right and you forget it's a rehearsal you just go into worship so this next song we just want to say the Lord bless you and keep you may his face shine upon you hallelujah
when you're coming, when you're going, when you're weeping, when you're weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you in the morning, in the, morning, in the evening, in your coming, when you're coming, when you're going, when you're weeping, when you're weeping and rejoicing. He is for you. He is for you in the morning, in the evening, when you're coming. When you're going, when you're, weeping, when you're weeping and rejoicing, He is for you, He is for you. Oh. 
we don't thank him enough. But even if we could, we can't thank him enough. Hallelujah.
How many is ready for the word of God? For it's the word of God that's going to stand when all else fails. Receive our pastor as he comes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Truly we honor God. His presence in the house. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That is a truly beautiful song. Not even a whole lot of words, but it has a whole lot of meaning. Hallelujah. 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 We are just excited about what God is doing. We're so thankful uh, to have uh, LaRonda and Amy back with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We just, we miss you when you're not here. That's for those that aren't here right now. That means we miss you too. Yeah. Hallelujah. So we're just thinking, thinking about you, praying for you. Uh, we definitely salute those that have joined via technology. We thank the Lord for that mean uh, to be able to reach out to you, to speak into your life today. Uh, we're excited about the God that we serve. Amen. Amen. Just before we get into the word. Um, if there are any more Operation Christmas Child boxes um, anywhere else, please bring them up here to the front. Yeah, just bring them up here to the front. Hallelujah. God has given us an awesome opportunity to minister to the needs of people that are in far worse condition than we are. Hallelujah. And we're thankful that we have this opportunity to share the love of God. Hallelujah. You just put them right there in the front. If there are there any more? Amen. I encourage everybody to, every time we do this, we do this every year, to do the best that you can so that we can be a blessing. The one thing that I know about God is God does not flow his blessing into a place that blocks his blessing but he flows his blessing into a place that allows the blessing to flow through them and I know that we all have our own personal issues and struggles and fights in life and we're dealing with our own stuff but there's never a time in your life where you cannot be a blessing to somebody else if you would just let God use you God never asks you to take from yourself. He says, I will always give you what you need to be what I need you to be. Well, yes, sir. So we thank God for this opportunity, and we want to pray over these boxes that they minister to need, that they touch a heart, that whoever receives them might know that God cares that he's thinking about them. He sees them right where they're at. And that this gift is more than just the contents in the box. Because the true content 
cannot be contained by the box. That they might feel that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to minister to the needs of those that are hurting, those that are in much dire need than we are, who are dealing with all kinds of issues of life. You've allowed us this grace to be a part of this program that will send these boxes to wherever they go in the world. Some young boy, some young girl will receive these boxes, and we ask in the name of Jesus right now that when they open the box, beyond the contents that they see, they might see your glory. They might feel your presence. They might become overwhelmed with your love. This is not about us. This is bigger than us. But it's all about you. Father, in the name of Jesus, let your love burst forth out of these boxes and minister your grace and truth into the hand, heart, and mind of every receiver. We ask, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would work in a mighty way, that you would work in a mighty way in the delivery of these boxes, that nothing would hinder them. The whole world is in up, up to, uh, uh, turmoil because of COVID, and uh, all you can't even rely on the mail services anymore. But, Father, I'm believing that you will charge thine angels to get these boxes where they need to be to meet a need that you know about. Father, we thank you right now by grace receiving victory. That these that receive them might come to know who you are and that their lives would be changed because of it. We've heard the testimonies of those that have received boxes in years past and how it was the catalyst that changed their life. Father, let that testimony become like the sand on the seashore, innumerable, overwhelming, that this world might know you love them. We thank you again for this opportunity. Let them be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Again, we thank the Lord for the praise team, for them sacrificing, uh, sharing with us their gifts and their anointing uh, for the ministry of music and for all of you in the household of faith. And those of you that are absent, we pray that you're tuning in and listening. We've been talking about God. We've been talking about who God is, getting a better understanding of who he is so that we can relate with him on a more intimate level. There's a big difference between having head knowledge of something and having heart knowledge of something or experiential knowledge of something. God is so God, at times he struggles 
to really give us a glimpse into the fullness of who he is. We use words like love and, and power and glory and awesome and wonderful and mighty and brilliant and intelligent and all-knowing, all-powerful. We use these words, but even in the power of them, they fail to encompass all that God is. So God, throughout his word, has shared with us names, names that identify his character, names that identify his relational standing with us, humanity, names that identify his position in all matters. We've talked about Elohim, we've talked about Yehovah, and today I want to talk to you for whatever time God gives about Adonai. You see, like, like Elohim, which is a, let me, let me test you real quick. Elohim, is that a singular word or a plural word? Plural. plural. Some of you are scared to answer, but that's okay. <laughs> Elohim is a plural word. Adonai is also a plural word. And whenever it's used of God, it occurs in the plural form because God is a plural person. He's only one God, but he's made up of three parts. He's made up of a plurality, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. When you study the name Adonai, you'll find that it's written, it's declared in Scripture more than 400 times and it's full of meaning every time it is written. Its name itself comes from a singular word, which is Adon. And that word Adon translates in our language as master or ruler. So the, it, it encompasses the concept of dominion, of rulership, and ownership. Somebody once asked me, why does Israel have the right to the land that's been the source of conflict in the Middle East when it appears as if another group of people had been there first? And I said, because the only person who can determine ownership of anything is the owner. Amen. And what God wants us to understand about him is that he is the owner. Amen. There's nothing that exists, there's nothing that is, that is not because of him, and thus, since it is because of him, it belongs to him. If you look at the cultural background to the word Adon, it's associated with masters who own slaves. But it doesn't merely imply ownership, but it conveys really more of a responsibility for the care and the well-being 
of the very thing to which Adon owns. The master is uh, responsible to provide for, to protect, to guide, to maximize everything that he owns. So when God is referred to in Scripture with the plural form of Adon, which is Adonai, he is seen as owner. Psalms 97 and 5 says that God is the Lord or the Adonai of the world. He is not only the creator, which is Elohim, but he's also the owner, which is Adonai. This reveals his ownership in his words. Psalms 50 and 10, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. In other words, everything belongs to God. When we look at ownership today, we find that ownership in the human construct is not necessarily always in alignment with the biblical construct of ownership. And since we are the children of God, we ought to frame our lives, our thinking, our ideas, our own theologies based upon the biblical concept of any such subject. Amen. In the New Testament, the, the apostles often called themselves bondservants or slaves of Jesus Christ. Amen. And they used this language for a purpose. They wanted everyone that they came into contact to know that they were not their own but they belonged to Jesus. Now, this is a significant statement, and it's not merely a form of sentiment because ownership includes responsibilities and it includes duties. In fact, much to the angst of uh, many ladies that I've counseled throughout the years, the Bible even applies the concept of ownership to the relational standing between a husband and a wife. In 1 Peter 3 and 6, we read that Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now, the Greek word that was translated Lord in this particular passage is karios. And this is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Adon, the singular form of Adonai, the plural name of God. So, in essence, uh, by Sarah calling Abraham her Kyrios in the Greek or her Adon in the Hebrew, what she was calling him was master or owner. She acknowledged not necessarily the ownership, but the expectation that the ownership brings to Abraham in responsibility to her. Oftentimes we, we fight against or we war, especially in relationships, uh, we, 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 we fight against this biblical concept uh, because we have been taught that nobody can own us. And we fight against something that God has instituted that has nothing to do with um, anything in a negative connotation, but it has everything to do with what is a blessing to you. Amen. I've been pastoring for nearly 20 years, and in uh, this time of pastoring, my responsibilities to the body of Christ uh, that has been placed under my care have included many ongoing requests for continued marital counseling. 
And in conducting this marital counseling, I frequently heard women complain about this biblical concept of being submissive. They fight against that word submissive. Even many will ask when they've asked me to marry them that we remove out obey from the vow that they make. But I believe that an authentic understanding of the full weight of the term actually can lead to a greater feeling of freedom for women in a marital relationship. You see, it's important to focus on the phrase marital relationship. Let's start there. You see, this concept is not extended to those only in a dating relationship. As a matter of fact, you will find in the Word of God nowhere where God uh, encourages you to date. So, hear what I'm saying. Your boyfriend doesn't have authority over you. Nor is your boyfriend bound to any relational responsibility to you just as you are not bound to any relational responsibility to your boyfriend. Responsibility comes within the marital covenant. So you don't owe your boyfriend or your girlfriend your intimate treasure just because they tell you that they love you and they call themselves your boo. One thing I've tried to explain to some is that when we learn to operate within the framework of God, we can rest in knowing the responsibility that comes with dealing with things as they are now in the hands of God, which is the way God intended for them to be. And when we operate outside the framework of God for our success, then we find ourselves dealing with things for which we were never intended to deal with. Oftentimes, many of the struggles that we face, we face not because God's system brought the struggle to us, but because we were operating outside of the system God has created for our success. We're taking upon ourselves responsibilities for which you and I were not created to handle. When we learn to operate within the framework of God for our liberty, we will find less stress because the responsibility for dealing with what comes down the road is not ours to deal with. My wife and I have a thing about uh, watering the grass or the plants and vegetables, and she'll be out there with the hose religiously you know, doing all, all the, the care of the garden. And she'll ask me from time to time to go out and help her do it. And I'll say, uh, that ain't my responsibility. Well, come on now. Hello. I'll say, if that's outside, that's God's responsibility. Well. <laughs> if he wants the plants to grow, he will send down the nourishment from heaven, and it will take care and provide for us. Amen. Now, there may be a little bit of laziness connected with this, but still, you know, 
God is still working on me. You see, ownership has much more to do with responsibility than it has to do with dominion. The concept of man has brought dominion to the forefront of ownership when God's declaration of ownership diminishes dominion and um, brings up or raises up responsibility. So husbands just can't walk around saying, I'm the Lord, I'm the add-on in this house like Abraham, but not take responsibility for what that actually means. You see, as a husband, you're supposed to be the Lord or the head, but you have a responsibility. It's not about giving orders. It's about taking care of your responsibility. You see, husbands need to own their role as the head and not just use the term. Many of us like to carry the title, but we don't want to do the work. You have to take care and provide and guide and protect your wife and family. And oftentimes, this includes protecting them from the very nonsense which harms them. You see, you are their Lord or their head first, by taking responsibility over yourself. Ultimately, too many today, too many men expect uh, the term add-on to be given to them without being accountable to the accompanying responsibility. They want to be add-on, but they don't want to be in a relationship that they have to be accountable to. You see, God in his role of Adonai fulfills every responsibility of ownership. He provides, he protects, he guards, he leads, he cares, and so much more that he does. You see, the first usage, and you have to understand that when God is writing his word, we we know uh, through uh, biblical study that the Bible is not necessarily um, crafted within chronological order. So then it becomes important then because things are sometimes out of chronological order to understand that when things are written and and they're revealed to us, they're revealed to us in a specific pattern or place or season because God is trying to introduce something that is vital to our understanding of who he is that is more important than time. So the first usage of the name Adonai in the Bible, it's important to know where it's at and why it's at. And you'll find that it's in Genesis. Genesis, the 15th chapter, the first through the second verse. And it says this, after these things, the word of the Lord, Yehovah, this is Lord Yehovah, came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, or Adonai Yehovah, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? So God had promised Abram that he was going to make him a great nation and that he would give him an heir, a child, even 
in his ripe old age. Now, interestingly, God had made that promise to Abram as Jehovah or Yahweh, which is the self-revealing God. So when he's speaking to him initially, he's speaking to him um, in the sense of revealing something that is great that's going to happen. And this is similar to going to church or listening to someone teach about the Bible. You hear the word of God, the things that God has said, and when you come to understand God and the plans that are released in his word, you are encountering Jehovah, the one who is revealing himself. As I'm teaching you this, I am initially forming this from the foundation of Jehovah or the sense of of God revealing himself to you. He wants you to understand something. So like Abram, you often make a decision or perform an action based on what it is that's revealed. Abram had responded to God by moving his family to the promised land. In fact, he had been there for a decade by the time that we catch up to him in the 15th chapter of Genesis. He had been there for a while. A 10-year gap separates Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. There's there's a 10-year difference between when God first made a revelation and God's second time making this revelation. God had made his promise, and yet there was still no baby. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, no baby. Now, this understandably causes Abram to begin to wonder what's going on. God had revealed something, but it doesn't seem like it's coming to pass. If I was to poll the room, I'm sure that there have been times in your life where you felt like God has declared something to you, but what was declared doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. You struggle with the timing of revelation and manifestation. Ten years is going on. Abram does like many of us. We, we, We remember what God said, but we see nothing. Nothing has happened. So Abram approaches God to try to find out the reason behind the gap. When is the promise going to be fulfilled? One thing I like about the, the, the Old Testament, they were just real with God. They had a question, they just went and asked him. You know, we, 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 We're so worried about being politically correct with God that we talk ourselves right out of ever getting an answer. God just wants to be real with you, but he can't be real with you if you're fake with him. As we read the text, it's important for you to see the different ways the word Lord appears in these first two verses of Genesis 15. You see, in the first verse, it's written in all caps. 
L-O-R-D. This means Yahweh or Yehovah. But when you get to verse 2, you'll find that the O-R-D is dropped to lowercase letters and only the L is capitalized, which indicates the Lord in the first verse is not the same Lord by definition in the second. So when you see this in translation, you'll find that in the Hebrew text, the difference is Yehovah is all capped, and then Adonai is just the capital L. You see, Abram had heard what God had said when he revealed himself, and he, you know, he understood God's plan, but he had not seen this fulfillment of revelation, so he appeals to God's character as owner. So what is he doing? He's appealing to God's responsibility to carry out what God said. See, one of the things we struggle with, and we struggle with this word owner so much that you can't appeal to what an owner really is because you're stuck on the owner having authority over you and you disconnect yourself from the owner's responsibility to you. So he's struggling. You heard God's word. You you believe that God revealed something to you, but it's not coming to pass. In fact, it might have been longer than 10 years since you believed that God revealed his will, and still nothing's happened. After a decade went by, Abram wasted no time in appealing to God as absolute ruler and owner He goes to him, Lord Jehovah, then begins to reveal more to Abram. This is what he says. This is Genesis 15, 4 through 5. It's important how you follow the context of the conversation. This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So what God is doing is Jehovah is redetailing his responsibility. In other words, I know what I've said to you. So in case you've missed it, let, let me explain it. Because he goes to him and he begins to ask him first off, as he's trying to understand or comprehend the promise that seemingly has not taken place. And since it has not taken place, there must be something that I'm missing. So maybe it's not out of me, but it's something that's connected to me. So I start looking outward rather than inward. Abram is looking for some other way for which the promise could be made manifest. So God in the form of Jehovah or in the form of revelation, he's re-revealing truth to Abram. This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So Abram believes the Lord. 
it was counted to him as righteousness, the Bible declares. Then Abram appeals to God once again, but not as the revealer, but now as the one who is responsible to carry out the revelation. This is what he says, O Lord God, that's Adonai Yehovah. How may I know that I will possess it? Chapter 15, verse 8. Lord God, O Lord God, lowercase l, uh, or capital L, lowercase o-r-d, that is uh, Adonai, then God is all capitalized, that refers to Yehovah. How may I know that I will possess it? You see, studying which name God uses when he reveals himself to Abram and which name Abram uses when he responds gives you a greater glimpse into the multifaceted nature of God. God is screaming to get out of the box that you have placed him in. Abram was in a hopeless situation. You see, at the at close to the age of 100, he was old and he was cold. As a matter of fact, Super Viagra probably could not have helped him at that point. Helping his wife to conceive a child seemed like an impossibility. It had been much easier had God brought about Isaac's conception 10 years earlier when he had made the promise to God. But now things look bleak. Look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor, are things looking bleak? You see... God will often delay carrying out his promises until he sees a heart of surrender and submission. Until he sees you recognize him as the one being responsible to carry out what he has said. In fact, submission to God as absolute ruler and master, submission to him as Adonai, can affect the very timing of his promise in your life. Look at your neighbor and say, if you didn't catch it, it, look at God right, right. your promise will show up faster. faster. You see, we can see in Genesis 15 that submission also affects our communication with God and enhances our intimacy with him. Let's skip forward a few verses to uh, the 15th chapter and the 18th because here we get to see something about the intimacy between Abram and God. On the day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, Lord, again, is all capitals, so that means what? Yehovah. So on that day, the Yehovah made a covenant with Abram. Now, keep in mind that a covenant is a relational act tied to intimate love. A covenant is a relational act that is tied to intimate love. Let me say that again. A covenant is a relational act. 
It is a relational act. You don't have a covenant with the bank. Because your relationship with the bank is not tied to intimate love. So then the bank's responsibility is to look out for who? The bank. The bank. But when you have a covenant that is based upon a relational connection that is founded upon intimate love, what you have is a covenant where the one you have covenant with is responsible to carry out It's a relational act tied to intimate love. So Abraham's or Abram's at this time submission to God as master, ruler, or owner throughout this entire conversation that's recorded in the 15th chapter of Genesis opens the path for him to hear more, for God to give more, and for the covenant to be not only reestablished on that day, but to be founded upon the only one who is able to carry it out. Only God can carry out what God has declared. The best way I know to illustrate this in our contemporary language is with the phrase, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. These words don't always carry much weight, particularly if they are merely a cultural gesture that's tied to your upbringing, yet when they are spoken with the fullest amount of respect and meaning that can be attached to them, they can open up the door to greater communication, greater revelation, quicker timing, and deeper intimacy in any situation. You see, what these words denote quite simply is the surrender of submission. You see, let me let you in on a trick. Let me let you in on something that the enemy has. Do you ever wonder why we, we fight against submitting to something or anything? We struggle with this word submitting. There has to be a reason behind why we don't like to submit. We're not ignorant of his devices. You see, submission is a powerful tool in relationships. Submission is a powerful tool in relationships. And it is one of the most powerful tools in your relationship with an all-powerful Adonai God. Unfortunately, too many of us today have settled for Jehovah without ever experiencing the full power of Adonai. I recognize him as Jehovah, but I don't want to submit to him as Adonai because I'm focused that in submitting, I'm giving up my right to make decisions for myself. The problem is, is that when you do this, you are also, in truth, giving up your ability to receive what he is responsible for. 
You see, to experience all that God can do for you as Adonai, you have to knowingly and willingly surrender to him. And yes, that means he gets to call the shots. He gets to have the final say in your decision-making process. You consider his perspective as you take your choices and decide how best to use your time. Many people want God to do what his word declares he can do, but they don't give him the right to own them, thereby the release to be him. You see, God isn't going to disclose more of himself as Jehovah, the revealing one, if you're unwilling to confess more of him as Adonai. If you're unwilling to surrender ownership over your time, your thoughts, your talents, and treasures to him, the information flow will stop. It becomes more like a drip rather than the full force of his fulfilling his word like a waterfall. And if you enjoy a drip, That's your choice to make. But if you would rather a waterfall, then allow him to be Adonai in your life. You see, one of our problems in the body of Christ is that we have too many Christians who want God to get them to heaven, but who don't want God to own them on earth. Yet unless you confess God as Adonai, your experience of his self-revelation as Jehovah is limited. You will hear his word and even say God's promises are true and amen, yet the fulfillment of the very promise you have declared is true in your life are often tied to your surrender to him as Adonai. You block God from doing God's stuff in your life. God has to have the right to own you. He has to have the right because this is what connects him to the responsibility to be him over you. If God doesn't have the right to own you, He doesn't have access to have responsibility over you. He has to have the right to own you if he is going to take the responsibility to do anything with you. You see, no owner on earth would invest in something that he cannot legitimately access or claim ownership to, and God usually won't either. Imagine if you would, the bank says, I want you to take all of your money and invest it in this banking, um, you know, annuity or whatever. But when you do that, you have no access to it. You will get nothing from it. The only benefit is going to come back to the bank, and you won't even get your investment back. How many of you are going to jump on that gravy train? You see, when Abram surrendered to God as Adonai, he received the promise of the child. You see, further revelation and an intimate covenant is what's released when you're sitting in the right relationship with him. This is why Jesus came to restore man to right relationship with God, because everything is connected to our relational standing. In fact, 
he eventually receives a new name, Abraham, which is the name that identifies the fulfillment of the revelation that God gave. Abraham is father of nations, like Daenerys is mother of dragons. You'll get that at midnight. I've just explained the way that Abram's surrender to God as Adonai affects the timing of God's covenant with him, God's communication with him, and even God's intimacy with him. But there's another example that I want to leave with you before I take my seat today. It's an example that concerns the life of Moses. Now, if we, 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 we roll back in the book of Genesis to the third chapter, you'll find that Moses had become a bit unsettled and unsure of himself after being a shepherd in the wilderness for about four decades. And when God shows up in the midst of this burning bush, we talked about this burning bush last week, he gives Moses a commission, and when he gives Moses the job of a lifetime, Moses balks. This is what... This is what happens. Then Moses said to the Lord, now, Lord, as detailed in the text, is all capitals, which means, then Moses said to Yehovah, please, Lord, now, all the caps are dropped except for the L, please, Lord, or please, Adonai, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord, this is Jehovah, said to him, who has made man's mouth? So God is identifying who's talking. So what God is saying is I'm getting ready to what? Reveal. Jehovah is the revealing one, self-revealing one. So he's saying the Lord said to him, or the self-revealing one, or Jehovah said to him, who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? This is Jehovah, the revealing one. He's, he's giving him revelation. He's letting him know, wait a second, I got this. I'm the one to put all that together. Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, please, this is what Moses wrote, please, Lord, he's talking about Adonai, now send the message by whomever you will. This is in Exodus 4, uh, the 10th chapter through the 13th chapter. So essentially, Moses starts out by telling God that the one thing God has asked him to do, he simply cannot do. Moses doesn't really feel qualified to speak on behalf of God to Pharaoh. He believes if he was to do this, it would uh, require a certain level of articulation, uh, you know, a college degree, some level of notoriety, or anything that would in some manner, shape, or form establish his credibility. You see, he's convinced that he doesn't possess the raw material or the natural gifting to do the very thing that God has revealed to him to do. He doubts God's calling on his life. Some of you in here today, some of you listening right now are in a place where you are doubting God's calling in your life. But Moses recognizes that despite all of his insecurities, God is still in charge. God owns him. 
in the conversation, he's going back and forth between God's revel- God revealing and God owning, or God having the responsibility to do what he has commanded him to do. Moses addresses God as Adonai. He respectfully communicates his uh, timidity, uh, timidity. And by doing this, he confesses that God is the one that's running the show. Now, Moses may not see how this plan is possible, but he knows enough to know that God is still Adonai or the one responsible to carry it out. So he speaks to him as the one that is in charge. And in uh, God's uh, response, that he is the maker of the mouth, the tongue, and that everything that is necessary to carry out his plan in the earth, he is the God of. In essence, God lets Moses know that even when people aren't able to fulfill the calling on their lives, if they will recognize God as Adonai, he can make them fully capable. He will qualify them for the task. God doesn't always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. Some of you are embarking upon areas of your life that you feel unqualified to be doing or to be involved in. And God is saying to you, I have called you to this place. If you see me as Adonai, not only have I called you, but I'm responsible to equip you to carry out the very thing I've called you to. I can talk to you about this not only because of Scripture, but also because of the experiences I have in my own life. In fact, when uh, I was growing up, I could relate to Moses in a number of ways. I often struggled with self-confidence. and In fact, some people would say I uh, more than struggled. There was times in my life when I lacked confidence so much that I did not want to uh, even go certain places because I was afraid that something was going to happen in that place that I was ill-equipped to handle. Yet at other times, I found myself in places where I probably should not have been if I had any sense at all. Yet that's exactly how God often works. When we surrender to him as Lord and owner or Adonai uh, of our lives, he takes the raw material of our human existence and he sprinkles his power on us. He suffuses his grace over us and infuses his spirit into us. He makes it work despite how feeble our own abilities may be in my weakness. He makes me strong. You see, that's why it's so important never to let what other people say about you or about, uh, uh, you know, your abilities limit what you do for God. You see, when God is your Adonai, when you submit yourself to him, giving him full control to guide and direct you according to his will, he can use you in ways that will stupefy those who knew you back when. God can give you supernatural ability to do what you can't do naturally. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Moses. He's done it for me. He's done it for many. And Adonai wants to do it for you. Yes, 
There's nothing quite like experiencing God himself doing something through you that you don't have the background. You don't have the gifting. You don't have the education to do it for yourself. Perhaps you don't carry credentials, but I encourage you to know enough like Moses to just submit to Adonai. Encourage you to recognize him as your master, your ruler, your owner, the one that is responsible to carry out his plan in your life. You haven't even begun to see what God can do if he becomes not only your Elohim, your creator, the one who made the heavens and earth, but also your Adonai, the master, the ruler, and the owner of your life. Unfortunately, many people are content with just the God of creation. They're content with knowing God as just Elohim. And God said, this is the first thing that I'm revealing to you about me, but I'm revealing it so that you can know more about who I am so you can recognize who you are because of I am. I can. Yes, sir. Too often we push back against Adonai. In the New Testament, we often refer to this as the lordship, the Adonai of God connected to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So when God is your Adonai, when Jesus is your Lord, his word should have the final say. When his word has the final say, this is true surrender. Your response to him is, yes, sir, whatever you say, sir, I trust you, sir. I will follow your will, sir. If you want to see God freely unleash his power in and through your life, never use no and God in the same sentence. You see, Moses, a humble shepherd in the backwoods of Midian, confessed God as Adonai, and God empowered him to lead an entire nation from slavery to freedom. Just think what Adonai can do in your life. God has a mission, a plan, a purpose for you. And if you get unstuck... All the stuff people told you throughout your life. All the stuff they professed to see that God revealed to them about you that you can't even see about yourself. If you would get unstuck. You may feel... It's if you don't have the qualifications to do the things that God has called you to do. And maybe you don't. Oftentimes, God looks for those who are unqualified. Matter of fact, you ought to tell your neighbor, you are unqualified.
Now look back at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I may be unqualified, but God can still qualify me. You see, we've seen what God did with Abraham. We've seen what God did with Moses. And God wants to do the same thing with you, just like he did a little guy by the name of Gideon. You see, when Gideon recognized God as Adonai, his story changed. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, your, your story is changing. You see, when Gideon recognized God as Adonai, everything about Gideon changed. You see, we catch up with Gideon at a time when his, his people, the Israelites, were being pounded by the Midianites. Judges 6 and 2 tells us the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. You see, God allowed the Midians, which were a pagan people, to oppress the Israelites because the Israelites had begun tinkering with false gods and worshiping idols. The Israelites cried out to God, Jehovah, the revealing one, looking for relief and deliverance. They had gotten tired of being oppressed by the Midianites, and they began to ask God to do something about it. Maybe everything in your life has seemed to come against you and beat you down, and yet you haven't seen God intervene, and you're in a place where you're crying out to God, where are you? Where? Don't you see? Everything is falling apart. Even those that I thought were closest to me have left me. You may be struggling with loneliness, with isolation, fighting, being bitter, because it seems like God has left you on the battlefield and pulled back the troops, and you're out there in the front all by yourself. So you call out to him to get hope in your hopeless situation. This is exactly what the Israelites did. And when they called out, the angel of the Lord came to Gideon. And he said that the Lord, Jehovah, was with him. He was revealing something. You're not as isolated as you think you are. Some folk needed to fall back so that you could see who was really standing with you. He's revealing something. Then he goes on to reveal something more. Gideon, you're a valiant warrior. But Gideon was like many of us. We don't feel valiant. We don't feel courageous. We feel like Michigan State yesterday. What in the world is going on? This is what the text says. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, 
why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So Gideon gets his commission, then he wonders out loud how any of this can be possible. You see, Gideon didn't come from a strong military family. He's not even the oldest in the line of his siblings. Still recognizing God's rulership and authority, Gideon pours his hesitancy into the cup of surrender. He says, oh, Lord, and he's referring now to Lord as Adonai. So, oh, Adonai, or oh, you who are responsible for me, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. In other words, sir, I don't qualify. I don't have the right pedigree. I don't have the right credentials. I don't have the right degree to do what you've called me to do. But he recognizes God is master and ruler, so his qualifications really don't matter. God is his owner, or in essence, the one who is responsible to carry out what he's sending him to do. And in verse 16, it declares, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat Midian as one man. And Gideon goes on to defeat the Midianites in God's name and with God's power. I love the story of Gideon because it is such a graphic illustration of God's ability to use any of us despite our background, despite our name, despite our stuff, despite our issue, despite our fear, despite our pedigree. It doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from. God will still use you. I don't know how. I just know he revealed it, and I see him as Adonai, and I know that he's responsible to manifest what he has revealed. He's responsible to manifest what he has revealed. He is responsible to manifest. But he is revealed. He is responsible. Why do I worship him? I worship him because I know he is responsible to manifest what he has revealed. I know that everything that he's spoken over our lives, he is responsible and he is faithful to carry out just what he said. Heaven and earth may pass away, but not one tittle of his word shall fail. Will you see him, relate to him, 
connect with him as Adonai. We say things like, Lord, let me decrease and you increase in me. We typically say that before we're getting ready to do something for the Lord. Come into the service and you pray, sounding eloquent. God, I've got to preach. Let me decrease and you increase. Let it be less me and more you. But when you are in an Adonai relationship with God, you never have to ask for you to decrease. Because God is not Adonai sometimes. He has to be Adonai all the time. So then it becomes a one-time prayer when you recognize him as Adonai. Lord, let me shed my foolishness. I know I don't qualify. I know I don't have the radio voice. I know I have a couple little extra pounds around my midsection, don't really look strong and buff like some. I know maybe I don't dress like everyone would like. I know I need a haircut. But I also know that none of it matters. It doesn't matter. Because I'm yours. And I believe you're God enough that without a haircut, you can make people see me like I got a fade. I know you're God enough. You can turn this keg visually into a six pack. I know it. When someone needs to see it, that's what they'll see. I know it, because you're God. You have not just called me, but you have qualified me. He has not just called you, but he has qualified you. We have two young ladies that are about to become mothers. Now, you think you're becoming a mother because you engaged in activity that produced life. Seed was sown. And you think that that's what, but you feel like I'm not qualified how am I going to handle another life when you were a baby in your own mother's womb 
God qualified you. You don't have to worry about what it is that you will have to do. All you have to do is see God as Adonai in your life and you will be everything you need to be when you need to be it because God has not just called you to motherhood. God has equipped you for motherhood. doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't even matter if the seed sower is still in the picture. Never think for one second that God has not equipped you for what he's called you to. And before the foundation of time, God called you, so he equipped you. He saw you. When you go home, you ought to look at yourself in the mirror. And you ought to remind yourself, God doesn't see what I see. And see what I see. I see broke, busted, and disgusted sometimes. But God doesn't see that about me. I see bitterness, I see anger, I see rage, but God he doesn't see that when he looks at me. What he sees is what he's called. What he sees is what he's equipped. What he sees is what he's revealed to. What he sees is what he's going to carry out. What he sees is himself, one that is brilliant and beautiful and all-powerful and one who cannot fail. It's time for you to see you like God sees you. See you like God sees you because you're in relationship with Him. Father, Lord, we love you. You are the end of all things, you are the beginning of all things. You are, and because you are, all things are. Maybe up to this point today, I have not recognized you as Adonai in my life. So you came today as Jehovah, the one who revealed something about yourself so that I could know something more about you. You told me that if you would just see me as the one responsible to carry out what I've declared, the experience of my life 
will be the fulfillment of your revelation. So, Father, help me. Help me to truthfully, genuinely submit to you, to see you as my Adonai, to see you as the one who is responsible for me. The world wants me to think that I'm not a man if I can't take care of it myself. I'd rather not be a man if it means I have to discount you. Let me see you. Embrace you. It's the one who is responsible for me. I surrender to you, Lord. Surrender to you freely, happily, with joy in my heart. Do what only you can do in and through me that you would receive the glory because of it all. Let everyone under the sound of my voice begin to see you as Adonai. Begin to recognize your qualification, not their own. Your pedigree, not their own. Your theology, not their own. Your power, not their own. Your ability, not their own. And let them stand on it. Have them, Father. Feel your presence. Even now. It doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter the condition in their body. Some are struggling with sickness and disease that's trying to snuff out life. But you, Father, are life. You are the master of even the angel of death. The death angel has to obey you. Therefore, it cannot come from me until you're ready for me to come home. Father, now let me see beyond my frailty. Let us see beyond our weakness. Let us see beyond our condition. Let us see as only you see. The implausible is plausible. The impossible has been made possible. The unreachable has been made reachable. The undeniable has been made attainable. We thank you right now by faith. Receiving now the truth of your revelation. Submitting our will to your own. And declaring that you are 
Elohim, Yehovah, and Adonai. And we belong to you. The song we sang, Lord, in worship earlier was calling for your graciousness, that you would be gracious unto us and grant to us your peace in our going out and in our coming in and our rising up and in our laying down and our labor and in our leisure and our laughter and in our tears until that day when the angel sounds the trump and you appear in the sky and the dead in Christ rise first and then we that are yet alive meet with them and you in the air and forever be with you for an eternity. Father, now! Use us for your glory. Keep us in this week. Bless us in the things we ought to do. We would ever be mindful to give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. It is in the name of Jesus we thank you. The unfailing name, the all-powerful name, we thank you. And it is so. Amen, amen, and amen. Consider yourself dismissed.